So we're continuing our series on addition by multiplication. And so Pastor Ryan has asked me to address addition by multiplication through multicultural relationships. And so I just want to just publicly up front, just thank Pastor Ryan for having the new white guy from Missouri be the one that gets to talk about multicultural relationships this morning. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Because the city I come from is 96% Caucasian. And, uh, and originally, I come from Oklahoma, which is not the cultural epicenter of the world, right? I mean, I get an amen on that one. I see, I'm going to love living in Texas, because I'm just going to be able to make fun of Okies all the time, and it's, it's going to be awesome. And so... I grew up in this small rural town, Oklahoma. Um, it's amazing that God has, has allowed me and has called me and given me a desire for cross-cultural ministry. Uh, as I was pastoring the church in Springfield, Missouri, it was, uh, we began to pray that the Lord would help us to become a multicultural church in, in a city that wasn't multicultural. And so for me, um, being in San Antonio, Texas is awesome. I love the variety of culture. And, but we didn't have that in Springfield, so we began to pray the Lord would bring that into the church, and we'd be able to build relationships and cross bridges and be able to um, reach other people groups and, and ethnicities. And, and so one day, I'm out in, in front of the church, and it was right after the Haiti earthquake, and we're testing a water purification system that we're looking at, at sending uh, to Haiti. And, and as we're doing this, a gentleman walks up to the church, and, and I don't know him, um, and, but I've been praying for a, a multicultural expression. He's from India, and I, I walk up, I introduce myself to him, and, uh, and I, I ask him, I mean, it's, it's, it's like noon on a Wednesday, and so I'm just curious what he wants, and just introducing myself to him, and he said, well, he's, he said, I've been asking the Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide my steps. I asked the Lord this morning, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. My first patient this morning, he was a, he's a doctor, my first patient this morning uh, is from this church and gave me an invite card and invited me to the church. And so uh, that was about three hours ago. This is the first opportunity that I've had to come see what God's doing here. And I'm like, man, if I wish I was that obedient to the Holy Spirit, right? And so, but it was perfect timing because there was another doctor there who was looking at the equipment. I got to introduce them to each other. He became a part of our church and he's a dear friend to this day. We've been able to work on projects around the world together. And we saw um, people come to our church from Nigeria, from um, uh, from France, from just all over the world, and, and to reach different ethnic groups. Because the Bible says to go and make disciples of all nations. And the word there, nations, is ethnos. It's ethnicities. It's people groups. And God has called us to do that. And he wants us to get out of our comfort zone and, and move into multicultural relationships. And culture, culture relationships aren't just racial. They can be a variety of things. But I, as I said, I grew up in Oklahoma. We not the cultural epicenter of the world, not exposed to a lot of different cultures. One of the few was a Native American culture. And one of my, my first occurrences with, with multiculturalism was about the age of 12. And I was, uh, I was actually walking to the arcade. Uh, that was in the days of Galaga and Centipede and Miss Pac-Man. You guys, I know I'm dating myself, but those were the good games, weren't they? Yeah. And, and so I was headed to the arcade, and a, and a couple of uh, guys on bikes, four or five years older than me on, on bikes, uh, bicycles, and Native American kids, came and they began to kick me as they, as they, as they went by and began to you know, throw stuff at me and kind of harass me. And being the wise 12-year-old that I was, I thought calling them a derogatory name would help resolve the situation. 
And so I called them a derogatory name that had to do with their ethnicity. It didn't help. Can I tell you that? It, it didn't help at all. And it escalated. They began to beat me up. And the arcade owner came in and, and broke it up. And, and that was one of my first occurrences with multiculturalism. They were wrong. I was wrong. Like, it all just escalated. It was a fiasco. And, and so many multicultural interactions have, are negative in our world. And there's so, there can be so much baggage that, that we can carry, ignorance, bias, um, unforgiveness, difficulty. And so I just want to bring that out in the open. I just want to talk about it. I just want to say up front, I know it's a loaded subject. I know there's, there's pain, there's difficulty with this, but it's something we don't want to ignore. It's something we don't want to not address. And so I just want to say, I'm, I feel like I'm one of the most leak, least likely people to be called into this form of ministry, to be called um, with a heart and a passion and a burden to cross cultural barriers and to reach people that are far from Jesus and bring them to Jesus. And, and, and even the interest and the passion I have to interact with people um, multiculturally, even right where I am. Because, see, it's not just about going to Columbia, right? It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus right where you are today and crossing those, those cultural barriers and and. And so I want to def define a few terms this morning of, as we talk about multicultural relationships. So let's look at what culture even means. So I'm going to read a definition to you guys of culture. So culture is a way you do life. Culture is a way of life of a group of people, the behaviors, the beliefs, the values, and symbols that they accept, generally without thinking about them, and that are passed along by communication and imitation from one generation to the next. It's not just racial. Um, there, there are all different kinds of cultures. There's, there's educational culture. There's military culture. Uh, there's youth culture. There's hipster culture. There's biker culture. There's socioeconomic differences in cultures. And so, but we, we each one of us are a part of, for me, I'm monocultural. I, I, I'm from one culture, one language. And, and, and I, there's a way I do life. I just do life. And it's important that I at least acknowledge that, that each of us do. That way, when cultures interact, we can understand that there's a, a difference in it. Culture is how we do things. And then there's worldview. Worldview is how we think about life. We all possess certain assumptions, values, and allegiances that enable us to function with understanding in our society. Again, those different um, groupings and culturally that, that I talked about. And so it's, it's important we're able to recognize so we can adapt to other cultures and other worldviews. Todd, can you hand me those balls? Thanks. Appreciate it. So here I have, a, I have a couple of balls. Which one is the football? Right? Which one's the football? Yeah. See, this is culture. This is worldview. I would say that, again, I'm new to Texas, but I would say most people in Texas would say this is football. But most people in the Western Hemisphere would say this is a football. Who's right? Well, it's not right or wrong, is it? It's culture. It's worldview. And so if you are invited to participate in a football game, and you try to play according to these football rules, it's not going to go well, is it? If you're invited into this football game and you play according to these rules, I mean, we're talking about, maybe we're talking about rugby. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure, but, but it's, but if you, and if a person that plays American football 
would say, and some of you are like, you, you shouldn't even say American football, right? I mean, <laughs> see, there's, I mean, there's these biases, and it's, they, go, they run deep, don't they? And, but you'd say, well, well, they're playing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. They need to do it this way. Or they may say, well, they need to do it this way. It's a, that, that's not the point. The point is to be able to understand and to be able to participate. Because at the end of the day, it wouldn't even be about the, the game itself. It'd be about entering into a relationship. It'd be about identifying with them. And so this is just a simple illustration. Here you go, Tom, of just what it means to uh, of just have different worldviews and how you interact that, that you have to be able to first recognize it and then adapt to be able to enter into other cultures. Because for me, I'm monocultural. Like, I, I, and so I have to work on getting to know other cultures and to be able to understand. I have to become a student. I have to become a servant in order to be able to enter in, to be able to build a bridge, to be able to engage people that are different from me and that I'm different from them. Um, some of you are bicultural. Uh, you're, you've been a part of two cultures, and, and you're able to interact freely with multiple cultures, and, and it comes easy for you. And I just want to say you are at a huge advantage for multiplying the kingdom of God, that God has strategically placed you and gifted you in the family that you were born in and, and where you come from. And so I know I kind of have probably like two groups of people here today. One, is, one group is monocultural, and I would say I, my prayer is that this message will encourage you and challenge you uh, to get out of your comfort zone and to start interacting and bridging with other cultures. And those of you that are bicultural, that you will have a fresh understanding of the gift that that is from God and that you will fully engage in that and lean into that and use that to multiply the kingdom of God because it is a gift. It's a gift like my wife has a gift of singing. Heather is a beautiful singer. Like she didn't even have to try. She just opens her voice and her mouth and it's like angels are just singing. Like it's, it's incredible. It's awesome. And I don't sing that way. I am a terrible singer, but I've tried really hard in life to be a good singer. In fact, when I was in Bible college, I took a, I took a vocal course because my logical mind, if I'm going to be a pastor and like I don't have a worship leader, like I got to be able to at least like lead a song, right? I got to be able to at least I surrender all, right? I lead something, right? And and so I took a class. The professor's name was Dr. Ballou, and I'm in this. I'm in this. I just think that's a cool name, Dr. Ballou. And 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 so I was in Dr. Ballou's class, and 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 I did everything, everything that he asked me to do. I attended every course. I even sang. In an assembly, in a recital, that's what it's called. Yeah, recital. See, that's how much I know about it, right? A recital. The whole baseball team that I played on showed up to make fun of me, but I still sang in the recital, and I did everything. And when I got my grade, he had the audacity to give me a B. I was so upset. So I go to Dr. Ballou, and I say, Dr. Ballou, you gave me a B. I did everything you asked me to do. He said, Jay, you are such a horrible singer. There is no way I could give you an A in this class. Be thankful you got a B. I said, yes, sir. I said, thank you for the B, and I got out of his office. I had to work to try to sing, but my wife doesn't. It's a gift. Some of you have a gift of operating in multiple cultures. Leverage that gift. Realize it is from God. Make the most of that opportunity that he has given you. And, those, and that talent that he's given you, the gifting that he's given you in that. And, and for the rest of us let, us, let us press in on this. And, and those of you that are bicultural, um, you guys can be a cultural broker. 
for the, for, the, for the rest of us. And those of us that aren't multicultural, we need a cultural broker at times to help us interact with other cultures. A cultural broker is a go-between, one who advocates and helps navigate between individuals or groups. It's a peacemaker. It's somebody that can help be a bridge. It's who Juan Allen is in Colombia. He can help us interact with the pastors and the people there because he knows Colombia, but he also knows our culture, and so he can be this go-between. In the Bible, Jesus... When he sent his disciples, two by two, he sent them out into the cities. He said, when you go to a city, look for the, the person of peace. And when you find the person of peace, begin to build a relationship with them. In other words, do your ministry there. Because when you have ministry through this person of peace, then you're going to be able to reach that community. Jesus was talking about a cultural broker, somebody that was in relationship, that knew the city, that knew the culture. And that's, a, that's an evangelism strategy for us, a missional strategy to multiply the kingdom of God is for those of you that are able to be that person of peace and be able to be a cultural broker. It does amazing things. I've, had, I've been mentored by cultural brokers that have helped me be able to operate in different cultures. I've been to um, South Africa several times, and I've helped be a part of um, training for the national leaders of the Foursquare churches in Southern Africa. And as I go, I've had a mentor that I've gone with that is, that's really helped me. And, uh, and Enrique, could, could you come up here? I wanna, if you help me do this illustration. I did give him like a little bit of warning. Not much, but if you'd, if you'd come up up here, yeah. Don't worry, I'm not going to come get any of the rest of you. Just, just stand over here. So when we were headed to Africa, my mentor says to me, he says, now, Jay, um, we, we go on walks in the afternoon to get, you know, get, out, get some fresh air. He goes, now, don't be surprised if, if one of the um, pastors um, begins to hold your hand. Um, it's, it's a sign of affection and of friendship, so, so don't let it freak you out. So, Enrique, if you'll take a walk with me. Um, so we'd go and watch in the afternoon, and one day the pastor from Zambia grabbed my hand and began to walk with me like this and rub my hand. Here, let's turn around the other way. <laughs> and how Enrique feels right now is how I felt. <laughs> For 20, 30 minutes, we just walk and just hold hands all across the city. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I feel. You go sit down. Give it up for Enrique, right? <laughs> Now, is that wrong for two guys to go holding hands together? Not in that culture. <laughs> Not in that culture, but it felt wrong to me. And if I would have, if I would have come in a place of judgment or a place of, of, of let fear stop me, it would have kept me from building great relationships. But I needed somebody that could help me understand that culture because that is not Midwest culture. It's not. But I was able to build incredible friendships because I was able to, to cross that bridge and, and be able to, to move into that uncomfort zone. See, when we begin to take a posture of a student and a servant, then we're able to cross those bridges multiculturally. A great example of a multicultural mentorship relationship that multiplied the kingdom of God is found in the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Acts chapter 16 Verses 1 through 5, it says this. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. This is modern-day Turkey. And a disciple was there named Timothy. Now, Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And these cultures were worlds apart. 
Now, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for all they knew was that his father was a Greek. There was a cultural issue here. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. They wanted them to observe these. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So we're just going to walk through this passage for a few moments and see this relationship, this mentorship. This, it's actually a multicultural relationship. And, and Pastor Ryan asked me to focus on this text today. So again, I want to publicly thank him for not only allowing me to speak on as from the white guy from Missouri in a multicultural city, but he also gave me a text that deals with circumcision. So thank you, Pastor Ryan, for this incredible opportunity this morning. So catch the very beginning. As we look at this text, the Holy Spirit was leading Paul. He was following the leading of the Holy Spirit. This has been an emphasis since I've been here the last three weeks. I continually am hearing over and over and over, pay attention to the Spirit of God. He's present, he's here, and he wants to lead us and he wants to guide us. And we see this in Paul, that the Holy Spirit's leading him. And as he leads him, he brings his attention to this young man, Timothy, probably a teenager at the time. And, and he's, he, he recognizes, okay, there's somebody here. God wants to join our lives together. He wants us to do this together. And so let us be open and let us have ears to hear. Let us have eyes to see those that the Lord wants us to partner with in ministry. That he's bringing, see, he brings us together relationally to multiply the kingdom of God. We're not just here to suck air and take up space. We're here. We are placed on this earth. That's the reason we're not in heaven yet. We are here to multiply the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God, to make disciples of all nations. That, that's why we're here. And so that's what Paul is doing. And so he invited Timothy to be a part of him. I want to show you guys four C's, okay, that I see in this text. There's four C's. And these I call these the, the four C's of building a team and other people have called it this too, so it's, it's not original with me. But, but when I read this text, I completely saw this. That as you're building a team, as you're looking for people to partner, partner with, maybe you're hiring somebody, uh, look for, maybe you're looking for a spouse. These are, these are good ones for that. <laughs> competency, right? And uh, that can be built. You can learn, even in a job studio, you can become more competent. But, but in this scenario, Timothy was a disciple. He, he, he wasn't just like a rookie in the faith. Like he, he, he was a committed disciple. Uh, he was a man of character. He was well spoken of. He had a good reputation. There was chemistry there. there was, uh, Paul's like, I like this guy. Like, I don't know if you've ever traveled internationally with anybody, but if you do, like you want to like them, right? You want there to be chemistry because you're together a lot. And Paul's like, I'm going to take this kid all over the world. Like, we need to be able to get along. And there was chemistry between them, and then there was commitment. Timothy was, you know how we know Timothy was commitment, committed? Because he was willing to get circumcised. That could be the fifth C, but moving right along. <laughs> he was willing to go to that extreme to cross bridges culturally to be able to relate to who God was calling him to reach. Because you see, in, the, in that day, um, 
Paul's missionary strategy was when he moved into a town that he first went to those who were culturally like him because that's, the easy, that's who it's easiest to reach are people that are the most like you. And so that's where Paul would start. He would start in the synagogues among God-fearing Jews who were people the closest to him. He would teach them the gospel. They would kick him out, and then he would go reach Gentiles. All right, that was his strategy. But what Timothy was coming with him, if he had not been circumcised, he would not have been able to go in those synagogues. And so Paul wouldn't have been able to have the, his missiological approach that he had. And, but you see, Timothy was multicultural. He was bicultural. He was both Greek and Jew. So he was able to relate to both cultures. And so it was a very, by Paul adding Timothy to his team, he multiplied the opportunities for ministry because he included somebody, he reached out to somebody that was different than he was. And so it leveraged their relationships for the kingdom of God. And it's amazing what they were, what they were able to do together. And, and you can read through the New Testament, the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Um, it, it was beautiful. He called him a son in the faith. He said, there's no one, I don't have anybody like Timothy. He's a true son in the faith. So you have this, this mentor-mentee relationship of Paul was pouring himself into Timothy. And Timothy, he appointed him as the church at Ephesus. And he pastored that church. And they communicated back and forth with letters. And they longed to be with each other. And you just see this great multiplication for the kingdom of God. And then as you progress through the Bible, we come to the, to the book of Philemon. In the book of Philemon, the very beginning of it it, 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 it says this. It says that he was, it takes, sorry. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, co-author. He was a brother, not a son. You see, he had gone, it had been this, this mentor-mentee relationship. And then as, <laughs> as time progressed and the growth of Timothy, they became peers. And as we make disciples, we have, to, we, as, we have to make sure that we don't try to keep our disciples below us. But as the Spirit of God, and as time goes on, and as obedience, and there's maturity, that there becomes this peer relationship. And then there can be this where you end up following them. That's healthy. That's kingdom stuff. That means discipleship is happening right. Because Paul was willing to go to whatever extreme was needed to reach others for Christ. In fact, it, this seems contradictory that he would have, uh, he would ask Timothy to be circumcised because in Galatians, he's like, Cir circumcision has no value in it. But yet, Timothy was willing to pay that price in order to relate culturally with this other group of people. And so here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. And I'm gonna, it's a lot of words. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just gonna read it, but I want you to hear the heart of Paul in this. Paul says this, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jew, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like the one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share 
in its blessing. Now, I'm not talking about biblical stuff. I'm not talking about sin. But anything outside of that, guys, Paul's like, I'm there. I'm with you. Like, he kept the main thing the main thing. And that's the gospel. And that's people. And this challenges me. Because I've let fear keep me from fully engaging. I've let ignorance, bias, fear, even judgment. And Paul's like, let's go for it. Let us go to them. Let us build that bridge. Because if you have, culturally, if you have this distance, how is this going to be multiplied for the kingdom unless a bridge is built? And Paul's saying, I'll do whatever it takes to build this bridge. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever to build this bridge because I want to see people come into the kingdom of God. He was this bridge builder. When you're in other countries, something as simple as a soccer ball or football is a bridge builder. If you're the bunch of kids and you throw a soccer football down, there's a bridge. There's relationally. You can interact. You can build a relationship. When that, when that um, doctor from India visited our church that I mentioned to you earlier, I connected him with another doctor who was there looking at the water filtration system because I knew vocationally they would have a bridge that they could identify with each other. with. So, so often we're all focused on what's different. How about if we think about those things that we have in common, that we can build bridges with that can help us transfer the kingdom of God, to help expand the kingdom of God? Maybe it's a hobby. Uh, maybe it's a vocation. Maybe it's an interest. And I, and I have about like, I have three just examples in Scripture, two or three. I just want to show you guys real quick, and I'm just going to read them. I don't have them on the screen. But I think you'll see how people intentionally in the New Testament build bridges to reach people that were different than them. They got out of their comfort zone. They didn't let th- being different keep them from expanding the kingdom. Acts chapter 8. It says, Later, God's angel spoke to Philip. Again, we see the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the angel said to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Now, sometimes the Lord just has us go down desolate roads, and we don't understand why. It's because he has a gift for us there. He has a purpose for us in these desolate roads. He has a plan. He has something that he's wanting to do. We think it's usually about us. It's not about us. It's about what the Lord wants to do in us and through us. So he has him go down this desolate road. He got up and he went. He was obedient. I mean, that's like so important. There he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Couldn't have been more different than Philip. He's culturally different. He's religious different. Uh, he's, he's, coming, he's, he's Ethiopian. He's coming from Africa, but he's going down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit told Philip, again, he was listening to the Spirit of God, climb into the chariot. Running alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian eunuch, he answered, how can I without some help? And invited Philip into the chariot with him. The bridge there was the prophecies in Isaiah. He was reading this. He, uh, Philip heard him reading him. And he immediately recognized that's the bridge. That's the commonality. I know something about that. I can speak into that. 
It's like somebody's working on their car. They need some help. You know something about cars. Oh, there's a bridge right there. I can help them with that. And so he said, do you understand? Said, How can I unless somebody explains it to me? And then Philip begins to explain it to him. He receives Christ. He gets baptized. It's an amazing conversion of what God did here. Sometimes a great way to build bridge is not to offer help, but it's to ask for help, to take a position of humility and ask somebody else to help you. Jesus, we see he did this with the Samaritan woman in John 4. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water, and Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. Now, Jesus was human, so he may have really been thirsty. He probably was, but I think at the end of the day, it wasn't really about the water. Verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman, taken back, said, how come you, a Jew and a man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. And it wasn't about the water. It was about he was building a bridge because he wanted to extend the kingdom. He wanted to love this lady. He wanted her to be rescued from the life that she was trapped in. And he asked for help. He just used water as a bridge to then talk about giving her living water that would change her life. But do you see how he built this bridge? Some of the greatest bridge builders in my opinion, is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like when you live a life of love, when you live a life of joy, when you prefer others over yourself, friends, that builds bridges. I don't care where you're at. That work, that will work at home today at 3 o'clock. When you need a bridge with your kids, you need to connect. I mean, that works, and that surpasses any language barriers, cultural barriers, when you operate in the fruit of the Spirit. Man, that can connect you with people. And so if we will have a heart of a student and a heart of a servant, I really believe we'll be able to multiply the kingdom of God. You see, And we don't have to go back in the text to Acts, but if you go back at the end of that passage in Acts with Timothy and Paul, it talks about how the churches were strengthened. Numbers were added. People came to Christ, and it happened because Paul took a risk on Timothy. He invited him in. There was this multicultural partnership that expanded the kingdom of God. And and Timothy came in with the heart of a student, and a heart of a servant to learn from Paul and to serve Paul. And if we, in our lives, if we will have the heart of a student, if we'll have the heart of a servant, it will open up doors for relationships. In fact, just this last week, we were eating at El Daco's. I found El Daco's. Thank you, thank you, Pastor Ryan and Jesus for El Daco's. So we're at El Daco's, and I think the server's name was, was Esteban. And so Esteban greeted us in Spanish and began to talk to us in Spanish. Now, I don't know much Spanish, I just, but, but, but at that moment, I had a decision to make. Do I tell him I don't speak Spanish and force him to interact in my culture, or do I butcher Spanish and just try? Well, I butchered Spanish, and I just tried, and he loved it. And he began to give me private, well, not private, private, but right there, began to give me Spanish lessons and help me. But we were able to connect relationally, and we, we laughed. We just had a great time 
eat, it was we were eating because we were able to connect there. But if I had, if I had not had the heart of a student, it would have shut that down. And so as we, as we live a life with the heart of a student and a servant, it opens up relational opportunities. So Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Jesus, who became man, the incarnation, he crossed the greatest cultural barrier of all time from heaven to earth. And he, took, he began with the approach of a student. You'd say, really? Yeah. Because if you think of one of the few verses of Jesus' adolescence, it said, he grew in favor and stature with God and with man. That he was a learner. He learned the culture that he stepped into. He didn't expect the world to change to his culture. He stepped into our culture and then transformed our culture. We can't expect people to just completely step into our culture. We have to be willing to, to us to take the first step like Jesus did and to step into other cultures. I'm not, not just race all different types of cultures and things that would be barriers and people. And then a heart of a servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many, for all of us. And so if, we will, if we'll live a life of a student, a life of a servant, it will open up opportunities for the kingdom of God to be multiplied and for his kingdom to be advanced. Last week, Lucy and Rachel, they did a great job. And as they, as they were talking about multi-generational multiplication of ministry, they read some questions at the end of their service and sermon. As they read those, I thought, oh, those are so good. And they not only fit multi-generationally, they fit multiculturally. And so I want to end this morning by asking these same questions and a couple more. And would you, in this moment, would you just bow your head and would you close your eyes and just would you ask yourselves these questions? I'll repeat them once or twice. And I just want you to respond to the Lord in this. Here's the questions. Have I disregarded or dismissed someone because of their culture? Have I disregarded or dismissed someone because of their culture? Have I assumed that because someone is not like me, that they don't have anything to offer, they're my enemy, or they're not my ally. Have I been resistant to allow others to minister in a way that may look different from how I've done it? How intentional have I been in bringing someone alongside me of a different culture with the purpose of us learning from each other. Is there anyone that has come to mind this morning that you need to forgive or you need to ask for forgiveness? Last question. What is the next step you can take to see the kingdom of God multiplied through a multicultural relationship? What is the next step you can take to see the kingdom of God multiplied through a multicultural relationship?